In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not there, but so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. Now, before we get started with our episode, I want to first acknowledge the alarming insurrection that took place at the U.S. Capitol this past week. Indeed, this is a turbulent time for many of us in the States and the world at large, particularly as we're seeing increasing rates of infection and deaths regarding the coronavirus pandemic. And I just wish everyone to be safe, wear masks, maintain social distancing and limit unnecessary travel. Uh, many of us long for the day when we, when we can travel again and set sail with Disney Cruise Line, for instance, which segues into another item I wanted to briefly touch on. I was recently a guest on the DCL podcast in which host Steve and I reviewed a new book all about Disney Cruise Line. It's a new Jim Corcus book entitled Hidden Treasures of the Disney Cruise Line nautical notes, knowledge, and nonsense. I encourage you to check out the episode and subscribe to the DCL podcast. It was a blast. Now on to today's episode. It is 2021 and this year holds a special place for many Disney fans as it serves as the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. In the anticipation of this event, it only made sense to reflect on some of the great pieces of writing that have chronicled the development of the resort or even help in planning your next trip. So on the first episode of this two-part edition, since it ended up being a very long and rich conversation, I'm bringing on two fellow podcasters. You'll recognize Dan Heaton, host of the Tomorrow Society podcast, who's been on Notably Disney before, as well as returning guest, Len Testa of the Disney Dish podcast. So you're in for a treat, folks because we're gonna discuss some fun stories as it pertains to Walt Disney World um, and books that have essentially uh, served as major pieces of your Disney libraries in all the best ways. So let's get right into that dialogue. As Walt Disney World nears its golden anniversary, we reflect back on the rich legacy of this ultimate Disney theme park complex. One viable way is to review some favorite books all about Walt Disney World. And joining me on Notably Disney today are two past guests who I'd say are experts on everything Walt Disney World. Dan Heaton, host of the Tomorrow Society podcast, and Len Testa, co-host of the Disney Dish podcast, president of touringplans.com, and co-author of the Unofficial Guide to Walt Disney World. So these are two perfect people to discuss everything Walt Disney World books so welcome back to the podcast, Dan and Len. Thank you. It's great to be back. And I'm, I'm excited to talk about a lot of books and really dig into some great titles. I, I, I crammed for this, and I'm sure you did too, Dan, like it was a final exam. So we're in <laughs> December. This is the, and, and Brett, you're at school. So yeah, this, all, <laughs> this, this, is, uh, this is like test time for us. I have my red marker ready to go and marking some oh, exams. Lord. We're, we're good. Right. 
So I know we're going to share some of our favorite titles. Um, there's a lot that we can choose from. We're going to cover everything from uh, nonfiction art books to um, biographies and, and history books and everything in between. But I wanted to kind of understand a little bit more about your connection to the subject matter. And certainly both of you are well versed in Walt Disney World history. But could you maybe share each of you maybe the first book you remember reading or owning that related to Walt Disney World? Go ahead, Dan. Sure. Yeah. For me, really, I go back to pre-internet is really when books were so important because I went to Disney World as a kid in the 80s, early 90s, and I still remember going to the library and we would, you know, there'd be a little section where like, I know where the Disney World books are. And they were always those burn bomb guides. Now, I can't think of what year they were from, but, you know, you'd go and like, oh, there's a new one and everything. And eventually it got that way with the early unofficial guides too. But I would just, you, it was the only way in a lot of senses that you could see things from Disney World that you because there was no internet or anything, there might be a TV special or something. So for me, that was another way that as a kid, I'd just devour those books. And that's carried over to now, even with the internet, I still pick up a lot of books now looking more back at history and other areas. Oh my God, that's so funny because uh, guidebooks are the first books I remember buying for Walt Disney World as well. And for me, it was, the, it was actually the 1995 unofficial guide to Walt Disney World. I'm not making this up because I, I co-author it now, but, and, and, and this is a true story. Um, I remember reading the 1995 unofficial guide out loud to my family because we were, uh, you know, we all loved Walt Disney World. And I, I remember thinking to myself, one day I'm going to write this book. True story, honest to God. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it was foreshadowing. Absolutely. I know. <laughs> like, I wasn't sure how it was going to happen, but yeah, anyway, yeah, so, yeah. Well, and also just the idea of orating and talking for long stretches, right? You're a podcaster. So now like a marriage of both of these things, Len. So we would, uh, I would read, you know, the reviews of attractions, like, you know, Carousel of Progress or whatever. And then my family and I would debate whether the, the review was accurate or whether it was complete, you know, stuff like that. So. So overrated, right? <laughs> <laughs> that did not deserve three and a half stars. <laughs> What was Bob thinking here? <laughs> I can't. Now that I think about that, are there any are there any attractions that he and I completely disagree on? I don't think there are. The, the big disagreements that we have now are between me and Seth Kubersky, who does the um, Universal Orlando, because uh, the unofficial guide to Universal Orlando, because he is a huge Universal fan, and every once in a while, you know, we'll we'll in email, we'll get into this debate between whether, you know, Gringotts four and a half stars is different than Splash Mountain's four and a half stars, you know, or something like that. <laughs> two, two grown men, you know, Bob's sort of in the background, he's CC'd on all the emails, right? And, you know, it, and it's two grown men arguing about, you know, whether these animatronics are quality enough or whether the special effects are quality enough. Like, we're getting paid to do this. This is our day job. What are we doing here? <laughs> it's just so crazy. That's hilarious. And, you know, it's interesting, Dan, you're talking about the role of libraries in kind of guiding certain insights into Walt Disney World. And, and similarly, that was my initial exposure. And I think really a common thread for uh, folks of a certain generation. I think anybody at least over the age of, I don't know, 15 or 20, where it's, you know, seeing a whole plethora of different Disney books at your local library and, and that serving as maybe a spark to, to want to learn more. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that pre-COVID, I still would pick up guidebooks from the library. Like recently, like we were going to go to Disneyland and even, and sometimes I'm not going to buy every guidebook and I go, ooh, this one has some new pictures or something, just as like a secondary thing. So I'm not sure I've ever gotten out of the habit, even though the internet has so much more. It's, um, you know, it, it doesn't really change that much, but it's still great to just have those at our disposal. Just, um, it makes a big difference for people that are old. Oldish, <laughs> yeah, older, older than teenager, right? Because yes. <laughs> now, now, so much is digital as well. Um, and I guess I'm. I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'll send go. you a copy. I'll send you a digital copy of the book, Dan. If you need the, need the Disneyland book, I'll send you send you a PDF, man. <laughs> well, you know, if you want to, we'll we'll talk. But no, it for All me, right. I think All part right. of it is the that'd be great. But the process of just 
taking that out because then that means that there's a trip coming and it's something to kind of get excited yeah. about as much as anything. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Absolutely. So I guess, could you each maybe concisely talk about in thinking about as we go into our examination of our favorite Walt Disney World related books, how would you describe the importance of these titles, whether they're history books, planning books, mm -hmm. art books, whatever the subcategory might be in informing your understanding of this amazing resort? Well, I think it's changed for me a bit because since I've started kind of doing a podcast and a website and everything is that now I'm really looking at it as, you know, cause I've learned kind of the baseline of like when I was younger, it'd be souvenir books and everything. But now books to me, a lot of it is, and you'll see this kind of as a through line with my choices is one learning about the people that worked on a lot of these attractions like or the parks and two just the concept art and a lot of things that were never built so just to summarize that it, it's more about not just the basic history yes i've read walt disney's biographies and everything else but more you know zoning in on a park or an attraction or something like that and really you know you kind of once you get inquisitive about this and you learn something like you know about an attraction, it's like, wait, I never knew that. How did, where did that come from? And it's like, you start to get trained to hear the same stories over and over from Disney marketing. And then you read a book and you're kind of blown away by something you knew nothing about. And I'm sure that that's the case with a lot of my books and I'm sure with all, everyone's here. Yeah, I would, I, would, uh, I would echo that. There's the, the, one of the key things about the books that, that I like and the ones that are on my list, they started off as, uh, coming from a place where we where I love the theme parks, but then trying to figure out why the theme parks work. Like, why do people love them? And like to Dan's point, you know, that could be an individual attraction. Like, why do we love Pirates of the Caribbean? Um, but then there's a larger sense. Like, why do I love the Magic Kingdom? Like, how what design principles are there in uh, are, are, did, is you, are used in the Magic Kingdom that make us want to be there so much? The other thing. Um, that you'll see in my list of books is that, and again, Dan made this point, but it, it captures some of the history that is outside of what's normally presented by the Disney company, right? So if you read a Disney book, uh, you'll get a, for lack of a better term, corporate sanitized version of the history of some of these parts, but, um, but it didn't always go like that. So what I find super useful, and there's a couple of examples of this, examples of this in my um, in my reading material, is early concept stuff that either didn't get built, or alternatives to uh, attractions that we got. So, for example, what was the original version of um, the United States Pavilion? What was the original version of um, Spaceship Earth like? And and that's important because we never hear about that from Disney, but because we want to know sort of the history of how all of, all of this evolved, it's important for us to retain that knowledge. Like I said, Disney's never going to tell us what the alternative scripts were for those attractions, but they exist in other people's archives, and that makes them important. I think both of your points are very strong and appropriate, and I think we have a lot of room for examination. So we're going to approach this by uh, each sharing a particular selection and chiming in if we have additional thoughts and familiarity. And we're gonna start it off with Dan, uh, followed by Len and then myself, and we're gonna cover a wide variety of texts. So Dan, how about you take it away? Sure, it's funny that we just talked about things that Disney doesn't report. And a lot of the books I chose are official Disney books, which I'm like, wait, what? I, I thought I was saying something different. But I think there are exceptions like where mm. Um, Disney, for some reason, some book just wasn't being paid attention to by the legal PR people or whatever, and just is more interesting. And that's the case with this first book, which I had bought this years ago. And now coming back to it recently for a podcast guest, I was like, this book's incredible. It's called The Making of Disney's Animal Kingdom Theme Park by Melody mm -hmm. Melberg, who's actually Joe Rohde's wife, and but is you know, a writer and has been very involved with a lot of things in her own right beyond this, this book. And this is a coffee table size book, but it came out in 1998. So it's like a companion to the opening of Disney's Animal Kingdom. And what's so cool about it is, is it tells the story 
of the concepts and the development of the park. So it's not just about like, wow, animals are cool. And Disney does so many great things for animals. It's like, okay, Joe Rohde and this group of like five other people got together in like 1990 and basically came up with ideas, then went to Africa and did that and then came back and the park just kept changing over and over and over again. So basically the book goes through the whole story of it and then you add in concept art. Like basically... Mm -hmm. They have a, a section near the end with concept art and then the actual pictures, like on the same two pages. Right. Oh, and there's just yeah. so much. I mean, yes, there are things about like Beastly Kingdom and other things that weren't built. But for me, what's so interesting, and a lot of it is just buildings. It's not just here's the concept art from Dinosaur or Kilimanjaro Safaris. It's like, here's this building in Africa or this spot. And, and the fact that it came out in 98 where it's even like, you know, there's a little bit about what Asia is going to be or what things in the future might be, but it's the park at its earliest stage and it's even more focused on, there's a lot of things about the animals, there's quotes from a lot of people. And it's one of those books where you kind of look through it and, and every time, like I was trying to look up something on Conservation Station for an interview and I ended up just, I just kept getting sidetracked because I would just like be reading a section on this and this. There's just so much there. And the great thing too is the final thing, it's like $5 on Amazon right now, which I will say <laughs> that's a steal. Some of these other yeah, choices and I'm not making a sales pitch here. It doesn't help me, but some of these other choices are not that yeah. cheap. And so this is one where I think, I don't think as many Disney fans have this book because if they did, it would be a lot more expensive. And two, it's totally worth it. It's fast, a fascinating book. and It's an official Disney book, but, um, they really went all out for it. Is that is that the book with that that has the um this is the original concept map of Animal Kingdom with Beastly Kingdom in it with the Loch Ness monster in the uh in the river? I think so. I can't remember for sure, you know, going through it, but I um, mean it's a book with a green cover and there are tons of drawings yeah. and everything. That has to be the one because if if that's I something is, that they yeah. would officially release, it would be in this book. That, that's where I think it's from. And the reason why I say that is when uh, um, we were trying to, when I, I do a podcast with Jim L, when Jim and I were trying to figure out what was supposed to be built in Beastly Kingdom, I think we, we used like a, a tunneling microscope to, <laughs> to figure out all of the detail that was in Beastly Kingdom. Like, is this a plant or is this an animal? And if it was an animal, why was it there? <laughs> and uh, it, had, we, uh, had we had access to, to the entire book, I think we might have, uh, might have known a little bit more. But yeah, that, that's fascinating. I think I think the Animal Kingdom is the most coherently themed of all of Disney's parks. Like everything there works as a whole better than in any other park. I agree, and I yeah. think that it's especially given just the development of what's happened with Epcot and them and Hollywood Studios and everything. It's the park that I go to it, and I'm like, this all fits together. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like it all makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> even with Pandora, it still right. all fits, and it's kind of a miracle. It's like its own thing. There's not another yeah. park that fits together that way. Yeah, I mean, everything, everything is thematically consistent in, in a way that other parks aren't. Like, there's no... Like, Tomorrowland, for me, is so disjointed in the Magic Kingdom because of the, the, the topics in there. But, like, to your point, like, even Pandora fits. It may not be a perfect fit. It wouldn't have been a thing that I would have picked, but you can't walk in it and say, yeah, you know what, this, is, this, this belongs in the studios. No, it doesn't. It, it belongs in the looking. That's fantastic. Cool. Well, I love it's five dollars on Amazon for the book. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and certainly it's worth picking up. And you know, we're talking about the cohesiveness of a park, and I love that. That's emerged as uh, a piece here. But you know, one thing I'm thinking about too, which I think is a salient element of the book, if I remember correctly, and you can, I guess, speak to this a bit better, Dan. But I seem to remember a big emphasis on the different measures that the Walt Disney Company took. Um, in developing the park to make sure that it aligned with different um, standards in bringing in wildlife um, from different mm -hmm. areas. And certainly that was showcased in really good form on that uh, documentary on Disney Plus recently about uh, the magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom. So it's not just the creation of the park and the attractions and the environments, but also just the notion of having many hundreds and hundreds of animals all across hundreds of acres. Yeah, totally. And that's, you know, there's even chapters that are like a kingdom dedicated to conservation and things like that. But seriously, I mean, there's a lot of information in there, like with um, Rick Brungie, who they brought in and some of the other people 
talking about what, you know, basically it goes through the development and part of the development is Disney wants to be taken seriously as some, as not as like, this is a joke or this is cause you know, the bar is really high. A lot of people in the zoo, you know, aquariums, everything else community were very skeptical and they mm-hmm. have gone all out and you could tell they spent a lot of time trying to figure out how do we make this a theme park that guests like, and also don't make this into something um, that takes advantage of the animals or treats them poorly. Yeah. So important. That's great. Len, how about you? Great what's, book choice. What's your, what's your next selection? Uh, so the one I wanted to start off with was um, Walt and the Promise of Progress City. It's by uh, Sam Genoa. He's a good friend of mine. Mm. Um, he wrote this book in 2011. And Sam is an urban designer by trade out in California. And the topic that Sam discusses in this book is why the large public spaces work in Disney's theme parks. And he draws analogies between um, uh, different spaces in the parks with things that we're aware of in normal architecture. So for example, or, or, or in filmmaking. So, uh, so Sam was the first one to explain to me, for example, that um, when you're going through uh, the tunnel uh, in the Magic Kingdom, when you go underneath the tunnel and you, uh, you end up in, um, on, on the edge of Main Street USA, it's, uh, it's basically like a cross dissolve in filmmaking, right? So you uh, you sort of you 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 come out and then you're uh, uh, you're you're in the Main Street USA, but you don't see it when you're at the top styles, right? So there's sort of like the transition from one scene to another, right? The um, the other thing that he explains is how Walt uses movement to get you to go from uh, land to land. So for example, if you're standing in the hub in Disneyland, at one time you were able to see the riverboat you're able to see the um the astro orbiter or the uh sorry the the or the jets star jets yeah, star jets, uh, yeah. star jets. Um, you know so so movement uh would be used to bring you in from the central hub into these different areas and the way that sam explains it is by linking that in with um with common architectural elements that we all know I will pause here for questions. <laughs> no, I wanted to make sure you had a chance to finish your description because this is a great book. This would have been on my list, but um, because for me, I've talked to Sam before. His books also on Disneyland and on Universal yeah. are all awesome. And he, he really puts Epcot 2 in the context of history, like from Disney in the 50s with the Magic Highways and some of the things they were doing there and then how that kind of went forward. And then I love the part in the book where he like says, here's what Epcot the city would have been like and like walking through it. And yeah. I, I've loved that. And it's written so down to earth that, um, of course I come out of it and I get really sad because I'm like, man, we could have had that. Amazing. Right. Yeah. The, um, the other thing that I like about the book is uh, there's, it's Sam's book and the architecture of reassurance, which we'll talk about shortly are the only two books that I've ever seen that explicitly link things like the 1948 Chicago Railroad Fair, which had, for example, a French Quarter in New Orleans, a dude ranch, and costume characters serving um, food from different countries, explicitly back to those ideas in Epcot or into Disneyland. So, like, Disney's never said, you know, oh, well, you know, uh, we built New Orleans Square in, you know, between in the, in the 1960s because... Walt visited the 1949 Chicago Railroad Fair and saw a mini New Orleans and loved it, right? Disney's never going to say that, right? But, but, but these books do. They link those two things together. So, um, again, it, it, it's important, I think, for people who love the parks to understand the inspirations for the things that we got in the park, and that's where it's helpful here. Yeah, Sam did a great job. Have I ever told you the story about Sam and uh, uh, me building my mid-century modern house? I don't think so. I don't think we ever oh, talked okay. about that one. <laughs> true, true story. Okay, so um, when, uh, when my wife and I, Laurel, we bought a mid-century modern house in North Carolina, we were going to completely gut it, and we wanted to make it into the home of the future because when it was designed, it was the home of the future. And one of the things we wanted to do was disney it, but not in a way that was obvious, 
right? So we wanted, we wanted something where if you walked into the house and you were a huge Disney theme park fan, it would blow your mind. But if you didn't know Disney, you would just think, well, this is just a futuristic home. So <laughs> we were trying to communicate this to our architect. Like, you know, I want, you know, I, we want to be able to walk and, and every 10 seconds see something different, right? We want to see a weenie. If we're, if we're standing in the living room and we're looking outside, we want to see a weenie that draws us to outside, right? And our architect, who was, who was fabulous in, in every other respect, did not understand the term weenie. So I call Sam. Again, true story. I'm like, Sam, I want to fly you to Disney World. I'm going to fly our architect to Disney World. We're all going to meet there. We're going to walk through the parks. I'm going to point out things you're, that I like. You're going to translate from Disney speak to architecture speak for our architect so that we all understand what we want. So we did. So one of the things that I, that I want, we wanted in our house was a replica of the Space Mountain post-show scene, which is a dining room and a kitchen, in our own house. And when I say I, you know, I, want a, I want a replica, I'm not talking like I wanted cabinets the same color. I literally wanted that entire thing in my house built exactly the way it was. So at one point, again, true story, our architect is walking backwards on the speed ramp of Space Mountain. And Sam Janaway is standing in front of her, asking everyone kindly to move to the side so she could walk in place and take sketches and photos of the uh, Space, uh, Space Mountain post-show scene with the, the, the kitchen scene. And that's what we ended up building. And so now if you go onto Google and you Google Lentesta Space Mountain Kitchen, you'll see what the results were. But I could not have done it without Sam Janaway, who was fabulous. True story. So two things, one. One, I think... <laughs> I think you I should. I think you should have had an HGTV show all about the design of the, <laughs> the house. And then I have a question for you: Did you hire someone to play Orville in the bathtub? <laughs> so I uh, did not actually. But Sam helped us out with a number of things. Like we, um, he's very he's very good at, at at explaining concepts. So when we were, for example, when we were standing in the living room and you know we wanted to draw somebody outside, we basically came up. Sam did came up with a not a hub and spoke pattern, but sort of like a dog leg pattern like you see in, in Disneyland with like, with uh, like Frontierland and New Orleans Square and Critter Country, right? Where you sort of have to like go around with basically the same idea for us in the, uh, in the background. Um, and it's because he, he's able to explain these concepts that we were able to tell our architect and our contractor, this is what we have to do. So anyway, fantastic book. And Sam's a great guy. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, if you want to understand like why, why the parks work as public spaces, right. And then, then this is the book for you, but he'll also tell you the concepts that are being used. And then you can walk around like your mall. Like if you have an outdoor mall and understand like, why is the mall designed this way too? Why is this a hub and spoke? Why is it not a hub and spoke? It's a fantastic book. Yeah. I have to agree as far as the, the notions of urban design and uh, I actually wrote my undergraduate thesis on the development of Epcot. And for me, this was, this was, I think actually right around when the book debuted, for me, this was a staple. And I think Sam's writing yeah. and the level of detail that he incorporated in uh, illustrating the development was just very rich. The one thing, and I've, I've told Sam this, if it had photos, it would have been perfect, but it's, there's no budget for that kind of, that kind of book, or at least not, not yet, but. Yeah, I, I keep telling him that one day I'm going to annotate the book with photos and we should, we should all get together and do it. But yeah, fantastic, fantastic book. Awesome. Should we transition to our next selection? Yep. Yeah, go for it. So one that I wanted to bring into the conversation is a real favorite of mine. And I think part of it stemmed from that when I was a kid, a series that I really enjoyed were... Uh, David Koenig's books called Mouse Tales, um, all about secrets mm. of Disneyland. So when um, more than a decade later, when he developed a book called Reality Land that focused on uh, behind the scenes stories of Walt Disney World and its origins and really a good history too, um, I was quite thrilled. And I'd say this is a really compact and robust 300 page book that um, manages to have really compelling stories. It follows more or less a chronological format. And I'd say David's just a masterful storyteller. Um, lots of little stories within a larger framework or narrative. Um, each chapter focuses on either a, a different component of the parks or even 
um, the, the origins of a particular park. Um, one chapter focused um, a lot on injuries and um, unfortunate things that have happened at Walt Disney World, but um, there was a particular section on Space Mountain and how it wasn't really advertised as a thrill attraction, a roller coaster, and oftentimes surprising folks. Um, but there's images sometimes scattered throughout the book um, that give real good context to the subject matter. There's a particularly um, stellar and ultimately very scary photo um, on, I think I have noted, a page 147 of a cast member <laughs> hanging from the skyway. Um, and the cast member ultimately plummeted um, uh, several stories. Um, this was just right near the station, and this was in the early 80s. So um, there's some dark elements for sure in the book, but certainly um, a, a lot of rawness, a lot of flavor. And I think for anyone who wants to go one step further in learning about the history of Walt Disney World beyond the, the common narrative that is um, delivered by, by the company generally, uh, check this book out. Wow. Yeah. I've read this and Mouse Tales, but it's been a long time. The sad thing is the thing I remember the most is everything about the injuries. That's the part that really stands out to me. <laughs> of course. <laughs> That's for everybody, Dan. Yeah. Good books, though. Really easy reads, too. So let's uh, shift it back over to Dan. Okay. Well, you know, I didn't plan this. Like, I swear that all my picks are not just books that came out around the opening of various parks. However, that is the case with this one, which is for an Epcot fan, this is a very familiar title, which is Walt Disney's Epcot Center, Creating the New World of Tomorrow. Again, this is yes. more, even more like a coffee table size book. And there's actually two different versions. Oh, one yes. Of them, oh, you know, oh my yeah. God. I was obsessed on this book for a while. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's a cool. Uh, one of them's 128 pages and one's 239. And I realized recently I have the smaller one, which kind of like, oh, oh no. no, no. <laughs> this is exactly what I went through. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. I was like, wait, there's more? Hold I know. On. It's like, what am I missing? Because I bought this years ago. And like, it was like at a book yeah. fair or something. I stumbled yeah. upon it. So it wasn't like the case where I like heard about it and bought it on eBay or something. And this is like, one that's a little more expensive, I think, to buy the bigger one. And there's always the case, well, which one is it? But the thing about it for me, being such a fan of the original Epcot Center, I mean, this came out 1982, right around the opening. I mean, it's so new where like Horizons wasn't even open. They just have concept art. But beyond, I mean, it goes through each attraction. It's kind of set up similar to like some of those souvenir books that, that came out in the 80s. Yeah. But where it goes attraction by attraction in Future World, World Showcase. But the big draw here, for me, I find myself going to this a lot is one, the, you know, obviously there's some really cool concept art, really cool drawings, really cool. Just like some of the most famous images that you see over and over when you, yeah. if you look up Epcot and stuff, like well, the one with Spaceship Earth and all the people walking and all that, all those are in here. There's one um, of Universe of Energy which like it shows the ride vehicle in the middle of this like ancient world with dinosaurs and all that. And I'm like, that looks like the coolest ride I've ever seen in my life. And <laughs> not that it's not cool, but I'm like, that artist yeah, really right. sold something that we couldn't really have. But a couple other things. One that's also really cool is that it really explains how Disney marketed the park because I find it so oh, interesting yeah. how they, how the pavilions like I go back and I'm like oh that's how they explained why this it's just so different like a lot of things from that time period there's just a lot of the way they explain the different pavilions especially things that like might have been a harder sell like the land at the time or something like that that really um try and present it in the best way and two it has a lot of info on attractions that never got built there's an entire section on the Africa pavilion that never got built <sighs> Yeah, like a big pictures and everything. There's also like paragraphs in World Showcase that'll be like, coming soon, it'll be the Rhine River ride. And coming soon, it'll be Meet the yeah. World. And it's kind of, you look at it and you're like, okay, Epcot was great back then. I love all these pavilions. But what they present, they even have stuff on the Living Seas. And this was in 82 and that didn't come right. out a few years later. Right. So much more where I think it, there are things that, oh man, if the park had been more of a hit, not that it was as yeah, we all got it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's what killed Africa, I think, and also her, they pushed back a lot of the phase two stuff. They just kept pushing back, and eventually never did when Eisner came in. 
that's that's the appeal, uh, the main appeal for me of this book. And and like you, Dan, I had the small version, and I, I forget, I forget why, but I was on eBay one day, and I was looking at you know I was looking to buy another a version of the book, and I happened to see you know, in the title it said you know this is the expanded edition, and my head about exploded. <laughs> I was like, there's an exp- what do I not know now about my favorite theme park, right? So, and of course, now I think the book's like, you know, $200 or whatever. Yeah. To get the big version. I paid, it's a lot of money. Um, but the, the, it, for me, it's, it's all about the concept art and the pavilions that we didn't get. Those are the two big things um, that, I, that I think people should get out of the book. The, uh, it's the, the pages are, are well illustrated. They're huge. It's all glorious color. It's a fantastic look. It was one of those, and it was one of those times where Disney actually told you what they were trying to build, not just what happened, in retrospect, like some other titles, it's like, this is what we're going for, you know? And then eventually some of that stuff that didn't get, didn't get built. I don't think Disney would, would in general ever publish something again like that. Right. They're not, they're not going to do a, they're unlikely to do a book now for the animal kingdom, for example, that includes beasts of the kingdom in the same level of detail as the Epcot book. It's just not, it's not what they do. Right. They're not going to like, say like, let's, as an example, like if they did a a book now, they're not going to put the, future e-ticket Avengers campus ride that might come out in some day that we don't know anything yeah, about in, in because it never yeah, happened. No. Yeah. So it's like, they, they're going to be very careful about looking past like the next three months or something. Yeah. Unless it's, unless construction's actually started, it's just not going to be in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh. That's a great book. Great yeah. choice. Well, and I think what you're pointing out too is just, it's really reflective of what the Walt Disney company is today versus 40 years ago. Right. It wasn't, there wasn't as much sanitization and um, being very careful about what would be framed and what would be available for the public to access. Um, so I think it's really a nice time capsule too of, of where the, where the organization was in the early eighties. And um, yeah, I have the big version. I've had the, only the big version and I, I could imagine the thrill that you both must have experienced when you realized that there was <sighs> that one as well it's a it's a really cool title it's one of my favorites and i actually kept this one off my list not only because i knew um dan was going to mention it but also because um i didn't want to be too duplicative but also because i would point listeners um to another episode of notably disney um back in uh, late 2019 that focuses all on epcot books um epcot essentials so um so for additional context check it out and i certainly uh, commend your really good choice there, Dan. Thank you. I'm yeah, still great. sad I don't have the bigger version now. It's just making me feel worse that you two have it, but I love this book <laughs> regardless. We'll take both sun pictures. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just send me the book. You know, that, that's what I get for being on the show. No, I'm kidding. Um, all right. Well, I think we should move on, right? Yeah. Len, go right ahead. Uh, my next book is the one that I just mentioned. It's The Architecture of Reassurance. Um, which came out in 1997 as part of an exhibit uh, at the Canadian Center of Architecture. It's by uh, Carl Ann Marling, who edited it. Um, And this is a fantastic book uh, for a number of reasons. One is that the vast majority of it is an explanation in detail of how the individual theme parks got built with probably the most comprehensive look at exactly how Disneyland was built, not the sanitized history, you're going to get from Disneyland, but basically week by week from like 1945 to 1955, you know, the decisions that Walt made and what influenced him. So along with Sam, you know, for example, this was the, the only other book that I know of that referenced all the different places Walt visited to get ideas for, um, for Disneyland, for things in Disneyland that we saw. Um, it's also great because back in 1997, it was the first book that mentioned um, Harper Goff's influence on designing Main Street and that it didn't come from Marceline. It mm. came from Harper Goff growing up in, I believe it was Fort Collins, Colorado. So again, something that's probably not going to get mentioned by, uh, by, by Disney, but, uh, but something that we all know is, is true now. Um, the, there are two other, so that, that's the bulk of the book, right? There's one chapter that's called Imagineering the Disney Theme Parks. Um, the other couple of chapters that I like, um, one is, uh, is a chapter called 40 years of overstatement, 
criticism in the Disney theme parks. And this is basically the author who is clearly a theme park fan and a Disney fan, basically picking apart everyone who's ever said anything bad about a Disney theme park, you know, in, in terms of criticism, either literary or artistic or whatever. Um, and it's just beautiful because she picks apart the arguments one by one. So you know, a lot of people, I guess, in the, uh, in the 50s and 60s uh, looked at Disneyland kind of snobbishly, like, oh, you know, that's entertainment for the masses or whatever. Or you guys have heard this too, you know, call the Disney theme parks fake, mm. right? Um, and so she'll, she'll present the criticism and then basically go sentence by sentence and explain, if you believe this, then what do you think about that? Like, you know, if you think, for example, you know, that, that um, theme parks are not a representation of reality, how do you view abstract art? Right. Basically any, any, anything that isn't photography, how, how do you, how, how are these two things different? It's beautiful. The, um, the other chapter I like, there's an interview at the end with Frank Gehry where he talks about the, um, the architecture process with Michael Eisner. Okay. And one of the, um, one of the stories that he relates in the book is how for Disneyland Paris, Michael Eisner wanted a statement piece of architecture that showed people, this was Disney, but it had to be French, right? Have you guys read this book? Oh, yeah. Okay. Been a so while, the, yeah. Story, the story that Frank says is they, they, uh, you know, Disney asks a bunch of architects to come up with ideas. And Bob Venturi um, comes up with this idea. Have you guys been to Disneyland Paris? Where you, like, yes. you know you go, to, you, you go down like the long um, roadway lined by trees, right? And you get in sort of the, into the central campus. Right, you, you come yeah, off yeah. of a, a roundabout. You go down. Okay, so Bob Venturi's idea was to um, was to do 150 foot tall Mickey and Minnie Mouse silhouettes every 50 feet down that main road heading to the resort, basically to mimic the Champs Elysees, and as a way to say to to address the French critics directly, who were saying that it was this was basically you know Disney imposing its will on the French people to just embrace all of it and say, you know, Mickey and Minnie is conquerors. And, and Frank Gehry says he saw the idea, immediately knew what, what Bob Venturi was going for, and fell down on the floor laughing because, A, it was, it was perfect, and B, he knew Disney would never do it, but it was like, because it was so spot on, it was like too close, uh, too close to the truth. But Bob was like, yeah, just, just you know, if, if they think that you're, that this is, you know, American commercialism, Come, come to Paris, just embrace it. And, and Frank was like, I love this idea, but they're never going to go for it. And of course, they never went for it. But the boldness of the idea and the way that Frank tells the story is just endearing. Like, it was, it was fantastic. Yeah, I, I don't have this book, but I have, I actually, I think it was, you said it was 97, 98, the, mm -hmm. the architecture reassurance, like that exhibition traveled yeah. the United States and actually was at a museum oh. in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and I saw it. I went there. And because I was like, my brother lived in Kansas City. So like, oh, I'll drive over and we'll go to this exhibit. You know, it's Disney and everything. And they were selling the book for probably like a lot less, like probably like $25. And I was like, yeah, I, it's, I just, it's, it's, a, it's more than $100 yeah. on eBay right now. Yeah. <laughs> I like was out of college. I'm like, I can't afford that. That would be a great book. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> And I still regret that. This is going to become like a theme, I guess. Deanne regretting things during this podcast. And then they had it at our local library. I'm like, great, I'll take it out of the library. And I got it. And all the pages were like destroyed and stuck together. Oh, so I still, oh. that exhibit was really cool, but it was like, I don't think yeah. it was, it was like a small portion of what was the original. So I feel like I still, there's so much in there I want to see. And just, um, it's, it's a lot, but I've heard great things about it. The, the concept arts uh, that uh, Harper, Harper Goff came up with and the stuff, you know, prior to Disneyland actually opening is really illuminating for trying to figure out, seeing Walt's in Walt's own head, like what, what he was going for and how that evolved over time. Um, that, there's no other book that has that kind of detail. I mean, no, no Disney publication has ever done it. It's really, it's really fantastic. And again, it's, 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 it's a critical commentary. Like they're not trying to sugarcoat anything. Not that there's anything bad about it, but they're very open in saying, you know, this idea probably came from here, you know, which I think is fantastic for the book. Yeah. It's that this has always been a favorite title of mine as well, because of 
it giving such rich context. And for me, I have never been to Disneyland Paris to have gone a little bit of perspective on that um, resort from a young age was really exciting. I actually, so I think I'm gonna be sharing my age a little bit here. I actually remember bringing this book to show and tell in elementary school. Um, (laughs) That was the type of kid I am and that's how young I am. um, Where I remember being maybe seven, eight years old and and saying, look at the cool artwork on this page. And, you know, obviously it was perhaps a little bit um, too much for me to take in all the text, but I know I was really struck by the imagery and I, and even to this day, I, I um, really proudly own this book because it, it meant a lot to me growing up and really drawing that passion for the theme park. So glad to see it featured. And uh, one book that I'm going to bring into the conversation now also comes from around the same time period. So uh, mid late nineties here. Um, and this book I actually didn't own until I was a bit older, but I always had my eye on and I'm really glad um, that it's part of my collection. And, and this one is since the world began, mm, yeah, book. the first uh, 25 years. And uh, this is by Jeff Curdy, who's a friend of the show and a past guest as well, a friend of mine. And, he, and this is perhaps the, one of the most, if not the most um, loveliest, uh, both visual books and also richest books in terms of the first 25 years of Walt Disney World. Um, it gives a lot of really great context to the development of the resort. Um, there's a lot of little sidebars scattered throughout the book that talk about um, aspects of the resort that I think most people wouldn't ordinarily give much thought to. So for example, Reedy Creek, um, I, I know there's a page on that. Um, a lot of cleverness in terms of the title, uh, titles of chapters, just prose is just quite lovely. Um, I feel like there's a good mix of concept art and uh, construction photos and, and ultimately what the theme parks resembled at that point in time. In a sense, it's almost like a, one of the books that you would pick up at the parks that had a lot of the just the um, stellar photography that would give you like a pictorial souvenir but the difference with this is, is that there's a great amount of text surrounding it that gives really rich um, history. Um, and there's even a bit of a preview of Animal Kingdom, which I know Dan referenced earlier, some of the uh, early artwork for that park and even Disney Cruise Line. So I think this is one of the best books out there on Walt Disney World. It's, you can actually find it um, pretty inexpensively on Amazon and eBay. So uh, I think it's stellar in um, being both visually beautiful and also um, offering that um, fine understanding of the parks, each of the parks actually, and then some general themes as well. Yeah, I think this, I also have this book and I think it's a great choice because, you know, it, a lot of, it sums up so many concepts or things that have been, you know, so well, like you said, there'll be a little box on the side here, a little spot here that just explains concepts, especially too something that I always have to remember is there are a lot of fans of Disney that have only gone to the parks. We'll probably like yourself, Brett, but even more that way, have only gone to the parks in the last five, 10, 15 years. And they hear people talking about, oh, that was this attraction or this was set up this way. And there's, I mean, yes, you can give them the the Epcot Center book I talked about might be a little much for someone, but this yeah. book kind of summarizes the first few decades when I went a ton of times as a kid and kind of goes through. And a lot of the pictures to me are kind of familiar because I have some souvenir books from that time. So it's a lot of similar ones, but it gives you a really good summary of the first 10 years or so. And then especially the Eisner years and just um, in a really compact book, it's not, it's not like a heavy huge coffee table book it's you know it's paperback the one i have at least and um bigger but um it strikes that balance well i think it's cool yeah i think the photography in this was one of the first ones where i looked at that and said these are some really great images of the parks i wish they would make you know make a calendar of this um i think this is a great book like a that i would have like in my first set of disney theme park books because to dan's point it's, it's a fairly comprehensive overview, not only of the parks, but the, like, there's some concept art in there, right? There's, um, there's some stuff covering Imagineering and technology and things like that. It's sort of a good overview of all of the, how it works together. 
aspects of the park. Yeah, I think this would be like one of those one of those books where if I had to recommend something to somebody who's getting started in reading more, this would be this would be up there. Yeah, I was actually just going to make that same point, Len. It's it's very, um, as you said, both comprehensive but also very straightforward for someone who isn't embedded in Disney culture. But yet, if you are very familiar with Walt Disney World, like all of us, it will give you a lot of particular insights. I think a, a really nice example of this is there's a, I think on page I have noted 141, it talks about the road signs in Walt Disney World. And, <laughs> that, and, that's where it is. Yeah, 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 I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. And just the notion behind font <laughs> and color in telling yeah. and, and giving, you know, that's direction and character. Yeah. Okay. I remember this now. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot that was in the book. Yeah, that was fascinating to me. Like somebody actually thought about this as a thing. Yeah. So great title. <laughs> we all agree. Uh, Dan, let's turn it over to you. Okay, so I'm going a little different this time. I mean, there we're going to talk about in the, a few others coming up soon. But there are a lot of great books that are starting to come out as we go along, from some of the early Disney legends, even some Imagineers that are starting to retire and everything. So I wanted to spotlight one. It's not a particularly new book, but it is. Um, it's kind of a cute story by Rolly Crump, as told mm. to Jeff Heimbuck. Jeff, of course, is a long running for a while was a host of Communicore Weekly, and um, worked really closely with with Rolly on this book. And again, this is a an autobiography in a sense, but not in your typical like 500 page, you know, here's everything that happened in life and you kind of get lost in the first few hundred pages and when do we get to Disney? This is kind of a, you know, really gorgeous book. Like the the front of it is like artwork, it's orange and black from It's a Small World. And I think what it does really good about it is there's a lot of text. It gives you a lot of background and it does have info on what you expect. It's small world, haunted mansion, Mr. Toad. But beyond that, a lot of it is about Rolly's other work. That's not at Disney. So it has things about, it shows a lot of his artwork, including some that would not be considered family friendly. It has, you know, Knott's Berry tales, um, his this omni mover he was going to do for the Cousteau society like so many other projects huh. that it's beyond just the stuff on disney is great and there's a lot of interesting background about his story and this is again this is not an official disney book it's done by bamboo forest publishing so it's not like any scandalous or anything but it does allow it to be a little freer just with what it presents and it's really his story and i've Find, I found this book just to be fascinating from start to finish. And it's, again, one of those where, like we've talked about with a lot of these, there's a lot of good pictures in it. There's a lot of good drawings. There's a lot of good art. So it goes beyond just a book about Rolly Crump, which could be great on its own. It's also kind of a nice piece of art. And finally, I should mention, too, that Rolly with Jeff recorded a bunch of audio releases, like called More Cute Stories, which are like released on CD oh, and you really? can buy them on MP3. Hmm. And um, a lot of those are just like, Jeff lists the name and Rolly talks for five minutes about this guy. And then he talks <laughs> for five minutes about this guy. So it's a little like disjointed. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean it's a little like track, 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 track. But what it does is again, there's just a lot of heart to this. And even the way Rolly talks, I mean, it's kind of a cute story is a phrase that he says over and over. And just, um, I can't think of a better way to sum up this guy who's so beloved and then his career than the book. And then if you, if the book's not enough, there's even more out there to, to enjoy. Is the book uh, still in print? Oh, I can check. I mean, it came out, I want to say it's not like super old, but I think it was maybe um, 10 years ago, five or 10 years ago. But let me double... Um, double check to see because I got it pretty soon pretty early on in its run and yeah I mean you can get it out there for I mean I think it's like $25 but I think it's still still yeah Yeah, so it's yeah you can get it on Kindle for five bucks yeah yeah Yeah. so it's definitely worth it it's um it's one that I think even if you're just more of a straight Disney fan you're gonna like and if you're interested in more there's a lot more yeah, I haven't That's read fantastic. this book, but I, I've seen Rolly talk in a number of different interviews, and he's just a cool cat and has such character, really entertaining person. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to get this book. I haven't, I haven't read it yet, but it sounds, it sounds wonderful. Oh, yeah, I think you'll like it for sure. Like I said, it's um, even the book is kind of this bigger book, but the text is like the font size is really small. So when mm. you look at it, you think it might be more of like a coffee table size book. 
but it's like this mix of like small font, but then a ton of pictures. Like, you know, I'm sure the Kindle version is great, but for me looking at, have got it right here. Some of the pictures are like full page and everything. So that's probably the optimal way to do it is to have the, the full book. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll stick with the uh, Imagineer theme and go with uh, Designing Disney, Imagineering in the Art of the Show by John Hench with Peggy Van Pelt. So this is 2003. Um, John Hench is one of my favorite Imagineers. If I had enough money or a cat burglar suit, I would own some of his original art. Um, the chapters, there are four, only four, four main chapters in this book. Um, the Art of the Show, The Art of Visual Storytelling, the art of character and the art of color. And John walks you through his interpretation of what each of those terms means. So for example, in the art of the show, he focuses a lot on Tomorrowland. So there are some fantastic concept art photos that he did for Carousel of Progress. Um, I think if we all look at those, we would all agree we would want to live there. Um, same thing for Space Mountain. Um, so he talks about the design of the Space Mountain building itself and how his novel idea for that was to bring the support structure to the outside, which is different, right? Because normally like the support structure for like a building is on the inside, but John wanted to bring it into the outside so that the inside was clean. And also um, he thought it enhanced sort of the spacey feel um, of it. Um, also in this chapter, uh, I think John is the only person I've ever seen who explains how lines and bathrooms became part of the storytelling of Disney theme parks. Like I, I literally can't think of another book <laughs> where, where somebody explains those things. Um, he also talks a lot about the hub. He talks um, specifically about, you know, weenies in Disneyland, like Sleeping Beauty Castle, uh, the March Wind Riverboat, like we talked about with, uh, with Sam Genoway's book um, and how, you know, those things draw people deeper uh, into the park and into the park experience. Um, uh, the second chapter is the art of visual storytelling. He focuses here mostly on, Main Street USA, a lot about um, forced perspective, um, but also how they, they, the Imagineers were trying to provide detail, um, which because detail is good, right? When you're trying to give people a sense of being immersed in, an, in a land, but, but visual contradictions are bad. So you couldn't provide so much detail in Main Street USA that when you were going to Adventureland, it was a, you know, there's a, it was a, there was a harsh, you know, uh, cut from one land to the other. So he actually goes into quite a bit of detail here, talking about how they make gradual changes to things like things like the landscaping, the fencing, and the colors used, so that by the time you get to the next land, it feels seamless to you, even though you're now in a completely different era and frequently a completely different time. So th those are the, the two, I think, the two, two strongest um, chapters of the book, the, uh, the art of show and the art of visual, visual storytelling. The other two chapters are interesting for sort of like arcane reasons. Like in the art of character, um, John mentions that two characters he thought were going to go into all-star movies were Pinocchio and Jiminy Cricket. So like, you know, 40-foot huh. versions. And they never made it, but but if I if I've read it correctly, John seems to think that those were in for the resorts, um, and they obviously that that never got done. Um, the other thing was he spends an entire chapter on color and how it affects mood. So um, red and purple mean different things in different contexts. Sometimes red means um, you know ground like earth, and sometimes it means anger or fire, right? Um, brown always means the natural world or earth blue all, you know, generally means sky. Um, green always means nature. Um, and one of the interesting things here was, and I don't know if this is true now, but apparently at one time green was incorporated into the color scheme of every Walt Disney world resort. And it was the only color to appear in every palette. I thought that was super interesting. Wow. I, I remember that being a really uh, impressive book and I, I remember uh, reading it quite a lot um, in the past. I haven't checked it out recently, but now yeah. you're telling me more about, it, especially the notion about Pinocchio and Jimmy Cricket and All Star. Yeah. That's really intriguing. Like I could see that maybe having manifested at Pop Century had it ultimately covered the whole century and maybe for the 1940s. But that's right. curious. Yeah, and and the way that it stated was like it was basically like a done deal. And again, Disney would never would never do that now, but in this case, it, it they did so. Yeah, great book. And again, uh, John Hinch, fantastic concept art. Some of the iconic stuff that you remember from Disneyland 
um, is his. And the way that he positions the concept art along with the text that explains what he was going for is, is really one of the best parts of this book. Yeah, I have a copy of this book. You know, this is one that I don't even know how I got it. I, somehow like a family member or something was like, hey, I know you're into Disney. I picked up this book. And I was like, what? Where did this come from? This was years ago. And now I see it as not one that you could get cheap. I mean, it's fairly expensive. Again, but yeah, $100. $100 on eBay. <laughs> that's the amount, wow. apparently. But, it's $100, um, yeah. Yeah, it's um. There's just the concept art in this from Space Mountain, like you mentioned. Like there's drawings from the '60s and everything. Yeah. Thoughts he was at, and then the World's Fair. Some of the items, like you mentioned, Carousel mm. Progress and others, just incredible. And also too, it like the way it's written is like you read it and you're like, this guy. I could see him being someone that shows up at like a meeting and he's like so far in a different zone from everyone because he's such a thinker and so like high-minded i don't mean that in a bad way i just mean the way that he thinks about things and summarizes it so simply in this book is yeah. kind of it's rare it's rare to have some like really complicated design concepts presented so simply and straightforward way yeah i like this book a lot if it was cheaper uh, <laughs> i yeah. would recommend it more heartily but yeah it's, <laughs> it's hard to find well and i think a common recommendation we'd have for folks listening to the podcast is if you love Disney books, when some of these really um, well-reviewed and um, notable titles debut, it's probably worth picking up um, within the first year or so, because there is that opportunity or the possibility where they might really um, increase so substantially in value that makes it hard to uh, make it worth the purchase, but um, it's a good one. And, uh, and I'm going to stick with this theme by talking about an Imagineer who whose roots started out at Disneyland, um, but ultimately, I would say in many ways, his attractions have um, been much more associated with Walt Disney World, um, and that is Kevin Rafferty, who wrote an excellent autobiography last year called Magic Journey, My Fantastical Walt Disney Imagineering Career. Um, Kevin has been with the company for um, at least four decades, and um, this is a fantastic overview of not only his life, but the attractions that he brought to life during that period. Uh, I talked about this at length with uh, Emily and Courtney over at Book of the Mouse Club on their show. And, and this is one of the best titles from 2019 um, as it pertains to Disney books. And the reasoning um, is maybe a fewfold. One is that it get, kind of like um, what each of you were talking about with, um, with Hench and Crump in terms of talking about their careers and creations. There's not only a, a lot of great text that gives flavor to who Kevin is as a person um, and, and his sense of humor that is absolutely winning, but there's a great deal of photography, both um, personal photographs, um, but also those from um, the company more generally. And it really illustrates his impact um, on, on the Disney theme park uh, industry. Uh, a lot of his uh, attractions are more associated with Walt Disney World, whether it be um, starting out um, in yeah, kind of backstage at Epcot and in the, in the Imagineering space there, but really thinking particularly in the 90s, um, the number of really cool attractions that are associated with Kevin is striking, whether it be um, humorous attractions like It's Tough to Be a Bug or um, even the Enchanted Tiki Room under new management, which I know has its deal of critics, but um, I, I quite like it, um, even, even looking at back at it. And thinking about Test Track uh, more recently, uh, Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, Rock and Roller Coaster, uh, Mickey's Felhar Magic, Toy Story Mania, he's been, and, and very, very recently, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Um, it's impressive, and Kevin's career is compelling. He talks about the struggles he experienced, even leaving the company for a bit because of um, different directions um, uh, with the with Imagineering at the time. But it's it's really worthwhile. It's a very compact book. It's about, I'd say I'm looking at it now, it's about 300 pages. The font size, it's small. Um, there's a lot that you get in here. And it's, uh, I've talked about it extensively in other spaces. It's such a must. And I think in really understanding more about Walt Disney World, um, even though it's not exclusively on Walt Disney World because of the amount of 
uh, context that Kevin gives to both the attractions he was responsible for that came to fruition, as well as a number of concepts that didn't, it's very valuable. Yeah, I agree. I read this um, a few months ago, a little while back, but I had forgotten, like you mentioned when you listed all those off, Brett, I had forgotten that he had read, I'd forgotten he'd been involved with so many attractions. Like, because you think about like the Imagineering story really focuses on Cars Land and what he did there or even Toy Story Mania. And then he goes through and I'm like, he worked on that and that and that. It's like, if you really think about it, it's like the book though it's really about him and it has his style and it's very, I mean, silly in a good way, but really it gives a good history of kind of what Disney was doing, especially during the kind of middle and end part of the Eisner years where a lot of the big changes they made in the big attractions, he was involved with almost all of them. He was like one of the, him and Joe Rody and then kind of on the tail end of Tony Baxter were kind of the faces of Imagineering in a way, like people that would come out and talk. So it's a really fun book. I'd like to go back and read it again. And also, just in case, I mean, again, I'm not trying to encourage anyone not to pay money for this book, but um, it is on Hoopla, which is an app through the library. If somebody's like interested in reading it and just can't swing it or something, and that surprised mm-hmm. me because there aren't that many books like this on the library mm-hmm. e-reader apps, but this one is on Hoopla, so it's definitely... If you want to check it out a little bit or something too, it's worth looking there. Good point. That's fantastic. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have to try that. I haven't read this one, but it sounds great. And that is just the beginning. There is a lot more to discuss with Len and Dan on the next episode of Notably Disney, because as you can tell, we can talk a lot about books and I hope you've been enjoying the stories and recollections along the way. So stay tuned for more context on our favorite Walt Disney World theme books on the next episode of Notably Disney. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.